And all the people said, well, I guess I got a new title this morning, the king of blankety blank blank blanks. And uh, I don't know if that's good or not, but uh, turn your Bibles, John the 14th chapter, verse 18. Uh, as you know, Calvary holds a special place in my heart. Uh, so many of you have been part of us for a long, long time. In the very beginning, from Shelly when she was here, and Scott, and then on uh, through Carol and Skip, and then on to those who are serving today, in and through our ministry. So uh, I am honored to be here back at Calvary and be a part of this uh, special day that you're all having, the Build Conference. And I hope you all are signed up for this afternoon because you know what? We live in a generation that is just disintegrating. I mean, right before our eyes, the shooting that goes on, all that kind of stuff. And, and we need to be prepared how, as believers, to engage in a world. Because I think all this is just when it gets darker, the light gets brighter. And we are the light of the world, if I understand the scripture correct. But uh, I have been on a journey myself in the last little bit. As you know, about four months ago, I was uh, diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And it wasn't a good kind of cancer. I guess there's good cancer and bad cancer, and I had the bad cancer. And, and there was a season where I did not know if it had spread through my body. And you go through all that waiting, 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 trying to figure out uh, uh, where you are with this cancer. But I want to tell you as today, uh, I'm cancer-free, and uh, God has just done a miracle. And I know it's because of the prayers of the saints. In fact, I was only down for, I really wasn't even down for a day. Uh, but I had to, I had to be uh, still for nine days. But on the ninth day, I got up and went preached three times at a mission conference in Enid. And so I've been on that ever since. In fact, this week, I'll preach 16 times between this Sunday and next Sunday. Uh, so I'm back in the groove again. And, and because of your prayers, I want to thank you. But I have begun to think about uh, life more seriously when you have stage 4 cancer. There's just something where you have to evaluate your life. And I want to begin to think about if I had only a few months left in my life, what would I say to my children and my grandchildren? I think that's very important. And you'll find out why in a minute why that's very important to me. Because uh, I didn't want my last words to be, pass the taco chip. <laughs> and one gets stuck and then I die from a taco chip. Then every family reunion from there on, it'd be going, did you hear how your grandfather died? And his last words were, uh, and everybody would laugh. And I would be the joke of generations of my family. My last words, probably my tombstone, he died. Uh, and that's it, you know. But Jesus' last words, we're going to look at those for a minute. Then we're going to Luke to the prodigal son. But these are the last words to Jesus' disciples. I think it's very important that we know where he's speaking from. It's his last discourse to the disciple. And I think that he, Jesus is very conscious that he's not going to have much time with him again. And so in Luke 14, verse 18, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, I, I look at that. I'm going to say, and he's talking to a strange group of people. There is Peter, you know, the loudmouth guy. And he's telling a grown man, I will not leave you as an orphan. He's talking to James and John, the sons of thunder. Now, I don't know what they did in Sunday school class to get that title, but, you know, they're called the Sons of Thunder. And now he's telling these grown men that has jobs, have family, he said, I will not leave you as an orphan because he knows orphan is just not about a physical thing. It's also about a spiritual thing. And that we can be living in our own father's house and have an orphan heart, an orphan spirit. 
And so I want to share a little bit about with that. If you got your blanks, let's go ahead and start filling in. Because I have worked all around the world. I've been to many orphanages. And it's kind of sad because as I walk in to an orphanage in Africa, little kids will start running out yelling, Father, 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 Poppy, Poppy, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And they're always looking for their dad to come. You ever, ever been to an orphanage? They, and they hang onto your leg because they think maybe you're going to be the one that takes them home. They're looking for the father. So an orphan says, I have no father, no authority. So that's something every child is looking for, an orphan. They know it's not a home. They know, we call it a children's home. They know it's not a home. They know it's an institution because they have no father. They have no home, the second one. I have no significance, okay, because a home gives you significance. It's what makes you someone, somebody, okay. Uh, this is my little son, and my son will stand beside me or my grandson now, and they, they have significance because of the home. And they hurt the one who loves them the most. Do you know orphan always turns their heart on the one who loves them the most? Let me prove it to you. Who loves you the most? God. Oh, great. I'm going to give you an A, okay? And, and who hurts God the most? I do. An orphan hurts the one who loves them the most. And we deal with a lot of adopted children who have turned on their adopted parents because of the orphan spirit in their lives. And they, they cannot tolerate the one who has sonship. They always feel like a second-class citizen. But there's a downward spiral to an orphan heart because an orphan says, I have no father. If you have no father, okay, you have no identity because it's a father's job to speak into you identity. Uh, and I wish I had an hour to break this down because it's a father's job to speak into the children and into those around him. When God created us uh, as uh, before the fall of man, our job was to reflect God. When a child looked at us or a wife looked at us, they will see how God sees them and, and they find their worth and value and identity. It's the mom's job to speak in them the values. And that's why a baby's carried around for so long, you know, and hangs onto the mom and, and then uh, is breastfed because the mom puts value in a child. But you have no father, you have no identity because your father gives you identity. Now, if you have no identity, you don't have no purpose because you need to know who you are before you know what you are. And so as a human being, we have to have this identity. But you have no father, you have no identity. You have no identity, you have no purpose. Now, if you was part of my African-American church I used to pastor, you would start repeating this back to me. No father, you would say no identity. No identity, no no. Oh, that's good, okay. And you know, just keep that up. We're going to be here all afternoon, amen? I didn't hear an amen there, pastor. That's what's wrong here, okay. I pull out my hanky, start yelling, help him, Jesus, okay. So you have no father, you have no identity, no identity, no purpose. If you have no purpose, you have no direction. Your, your purpose gives you direction. You know, people always ask you, what are you going to be when you grow up? Most people don't know because they don't know their identity. They don't know their purpose. But for instance, my purpose was to be a doctor. Then if I have a doctor, it'll be my purpose, then I have a direction. I need to go to college. I need to go to medical school. I need to take residency. Then I get that diploma, go my wall, and then I'm going to help people. Okay? And so you have no purpose, you have no direction. You have no direction, you have no destiny. Because okay? how do I know if I arrive? How does a doctor know he arrived? Well, he passed his medical boards. He gets that certificate hanging on the wall saying, look, I have completed. I have arrived here in my own occupation, what I'm trying to be. You have no destiny, you have no life. So what happened is the orphan spirit says this, no father, no life. And they miss everything in between because it's a father who speaks into you and out of that comes everything in your life. Now, let's go back to, did Jesus know his father? Let's look at somebody who had it all together. Did Jesus know his father? How do we know? 
Because the Bible tells us. Do you know the very first word of Jesus, you know? Uh, I mean, uh, Jesus knew his father in Matthew 3, 17. A voice from heaven said, this is my son who I love. With him I am well pleased. It was God the Father who spoke into Jesus his identity. And we see that several times where he speaks into him. And God the Father spoke into his son. In fact, the first recorded word about Jesus. Remember when um, Martha and uh, Mary uh, all of a sudden lost Jesus. You remember that in Luke, the second chapter? They, they had left and they were gone a day's journey. You remember that story? And all of a sudden they realized that Jesus was gone and then they had to wait the next day to go back to find Jesus. And I, I wonder what Mary did all night long. I think she prayed, you know. I don't know what she prayed. Uh, Dear God, I lost the Savior of the world, <laughs> you know. I don't know. But she went and they finally found him in the temple. And when they found him, what did Jesus tell them? He said, why have you treated us this way? Behold, we've been looking for you day and night and night and day. And what did Jesus say? Did you not know it had to be about my father's business? At 12 years of age, he knew his identity. He knew his father. He knew he was. And he was about at his father's business. His last words were about his father. On the cross, as they're crucifying, he said what? Father, Father, into your hand I commend my spirit. His first recorded word, his last recorded word were about his father. Did Jesus know his father? Yes. Okay. Did Jesus know his identity? Yes. Okay. Because he said over and over again, if you've seen the father, you've seen the father, you've seen me. My father and I are one. And he talked all the time about his father, him and his father, my dad, my dad, my father. And he talked about that. In fact, in Luke 10, 22, all things be handed over to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son will, wills reveal to him. So what happened? Jesus knew his, did Jesus know his purpose? Yeah, we see that in John 10, 10. Jesus didn't have to go to a guidance counselor trying to find out what he wants to do in life. He didn't go walk around you know, trying to find himself. I grew up in a generation who reject our authority, you know, the 60s, and we all rebelled, and we left, and we went, you know, looking for ourselves. And you know what? We hadn't found ourselves yet. And what, so, you know, we're still out looking. Guess what? Jesus didn't have that problem because he knew his father. He knew his identity, and he knew his purpose. He said, his purpose, I come to have what? Life and life abundantly, he says. And uh, we see that in Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples what his purpose was. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Did Jesus know his direction? Yes. Since he had a purpose, he knew his direction. His direction was the cross, you know. He said, even I testify about myself, my testimony is true. So he knew his direction. Did he know his destiny? Yes. He said, it is finished on the cross. When they crucified him on the cross... Guess what? He knew he arrived. He knew his identity, his purpose, his direction, his destiny. He knew when he arrived, and there it was. It is finished. I've done what my father has asked me to do. I have completed the task, the purpose. I've been here. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I know what I need to do. And the salvation of the world came about. Did Jesus have life? He is life. Okay, can I tell you that? He, is, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. Jesus had life. Now, I need to talk to you about the family a little bit before we get into Luke, the 15th chapter. And you might want to go ahead and turn to Luke, the 15th chapter. There's three ways that you can be in a family. In, uh, you can be born in a family. Uh, October the 7th, 1951, I was born into the Moore family. And then I was married into a family. My wife is of Norwegian descent. Her mom was Norwegian. I did not know when I married into the family, I was married into a Norwegian family. And now I have family that talk like Muppet movies, you know. You know and they, 
you're born into a family, okay? You're married into a family, then you can be adopted into a family. And all of a sudden, many, I know many people adopted children into their family. But guess what God says? He says, I love you so much. I want you to be part of my family. Do you understand? God wants you to be a part of his family. And he's covered all three ways for you to do that. He wants you to be born into his family. What does, you know, the scripture says, John 3, 3, C says, you must be what? Born again. Okay? You, you, we're going to be married into his family, according to Revelation 19, 7. There's going to be a marriage feast. He's going to come back, and there's going to be a marriage ceremony, and we're going to be married into the family of God. And then there is adoption. And Ephesians 1, 5 says, guess what? He adopted us into the family. So God loves you so much, he's covered all the bases. Isn't that cool? Isn't that really cool? That he has covered all the ways you can be in a family. He has taken you and done all three with you, married, uh, adopted, and born into the family of God. That's how much he loves us. Now, the problem is, do anybody know who the first Satan was in the Bible? Most people said Joshua, the son of Nun, but that's not, not it. Satan was the first orphan. Did you know that? Satan was the first orphan, and guess what Satan did? He had a home, had identity. He was a worship leader. He was, I mean, he had everything. He had authority above him. Guess what? He, he rejected the father. He said, guess what? I will, I will, I will sin. I will be like you. And he did all that he rejected. And he moved from God's will to his own will, which is sin. Have you ever spelled sin? I is in the middle of it, S-I-N. And all of a sudden, guess what? He rejected that. When you reject the father, you become what? An orphan. And he came to earth here. And guess what? An orphan can't stand being alone. If you don't understand an orphan not being alone, just come to a Baptist business meeting one night when there's a, a big battle going on. All the orphans comes. And all of a sudden, here he is, comes to earth here, and he found two other people who had sonship, Adam and Eve. And guess what? Adam and Eve had everything. They had a father. They had significance. They had a purpose. They had identity. They had a destiny. They had all that. And guess what? Satan convinced them. Their father is corrupt. You can't trust the father. And all of a sudden, they bought into the lies of the orphan. And guess what? They became orphaned. Ever since then, guess what? You and I and the rest of the world, that we're born into sin, we're born with an orphan heart. Until God the Father does a work in it. Now, turn to uh, Luke 15 chapter. You got it? Say, I got it. Thank you. Okay. And let's start with verse 11 here. In Luke 15, 11. And this is really cool because this is the greatest story of an orphan, orphan, orphan. And I'll explain it to you. Because we said to you, uh, an orphan says, I have no father. In verse 11, the angels, uh, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the state that falls to me. Now, when do you get your inheritance? When your parents die. So what does the young man say to his dad? Give me my inheritance. What is he saying to his dad? You're dead. You're, you're, I have no father. Give me my inheritance. And he, and he takes his inheritance, and he has no father now. So guess, you have no father, you have no what? Identity. So the scripture says, guess what? And he divided well between them, and not many days later, the young son gathered everything together and went on a journey because he has no identity, he has no purpose, so he's what? He's trying to find himself. Now he's out trying, he had no father, so now he's going to foreign country, foreign land, trying to find himself. Every orphan goes to foreign countries. When you reject the father, 
And I see it all the time. I see young girls that reject their fathers. And then guess what? They go out and they start giving their bodies away to any guy who will take it. And they'll sleep around because guess what? They're trying to find someone who will give them worth and value. And I see young guys becoming these macho men. And if they could just control a dude and, and they go to pornography and drugs and alcohol. All those things are signs of an orphan going to a foreign country. And so what we see is this young man, he's going to a foreign country here. And as he's wandering around, guess what happened? He's trying to find what? Direction and destiny. And, and, and it doesn't happen. What the scripture says in verse 14. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. And what happened is when you reject the father, you become a part of the other things that Try to make you feel like you have sonship. And I know many ladies think, if I just got married, I will have this identity. And I'll have worth and value. And you get married and you don't find that. Because your identity is not in your husband. It's in the father. And you need to understand that this young man is out. And all of a sudden he rejected his father. Now we see him uh, in a foreign country attached to them. And they ran out of food. And verse 16, he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods. And I mispronounced that the other day. I said he, he found himself stomach filled with iPods. <laughs> and you know what? I think that's probably where some people who orphans go to. They go to that social media trying to find what? How many likes? How many this? How many that? And, they're, they're, and they can't put it down because an orphan has to have somebody say, I like you, I like you, I like you. And, and, and it might be true. iPods are one of the ways to do it. And the swines were eating. Now, do you mind if I tie my shoe? That might be bothering somebody, my shoelace. I, I could even bend over now. Isn't that great? Now, what happened is this. He finds himself eating with a slop with a hogs. I grew up, my dad is a hog farmer. How many ever seen slop? You know what slop is? Just take all your garbage, mix it up together until it's a kind of a pinkish gray and eat out of it. This man ended up, he had a father, he had wealth, he had all that stuff, and he ends up where? Eating with the hog. What kind of life is that? Is it life? No father, no life. So what happens is this. I love verse 17, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I say that about every verse, though, so. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? Verse 18, I will get up and go to my... Ah, we see the answer to the orphan heart, the orphan spirit, with those who feel that they are second-class citizen, you don't have worth or value. Guess what? You can find it. All you have to do is go back to the father, and I'll go to my father, and I say to him, I sinned against you. And he'll ask to become a son again. And then we know what happened. He came back. His father reinstated him. And, but there was an older brother who got upset too. Remember the older brother? He wouldn't come into the house. He wouldn't come to the party to celebrate. In fact, they had to send a servant out there. And finally the father went out there. And there sat the older son like this. He goes, he's mad. He has a spirit of entitlement because he wants his right. He said, I've been the perfect son. I've done everything you asked me to do. I've done this and this and this and this. And you never thrown a party for me. And he also becomes angry because he's an orphan himself. Because an orphan goes two ways, either through rebellion, and we just say, forget it. We're going to chuck it. We're not going to try anymore. 
we'll just leave everything going our own. Or you become the perfect child. And all of a sudden, you're going to try to earn the love of the father. I know many young people like that. I know many children that are trying to earn the love of their father. Just do this and just do that and this and this and this and this. And I'll keep on. And they're trying to earn the love of the father. And they, they keep on trying and trying and trying. You know what the problem of this story is? It's not about an orphan son who rebelled or about an orphan son who was into his rights and spirit of entitlement. What the story's about is about an orphan dad who produced orphan son because orphans only can produce orphans. If you're an orphan, your children will be orphans. And I know that very well. See, can I tell you about another orphan? His name is Walker Moore. As many of you know my story, I grew up with speech impediment, thought I was mentally handicapped, and I was put in special classes growing up. And, and my dad, every time I look at my dad, he, he would use the word retarded when he talked about me sometimes. This is my retarded son. And I remember I, I was nine years old, and I wanted to do something for my dad. I wanted to please my dad. What can I do? And my dad was a diesel mechanic and had a shop outside of our house there. And one day he had to go on a road call to fix a diesel truck, a semi-truck that broken down. And I decided I would clean up his shop. He, he, there's two kinds of mechanics. Those are very organized and clean, and there's a greasy kind. My dad was the king of greasy kind. His bench was greasy. His tools were greasy. There was grease on the floor and transmission fluid and brake fluid. And I said, you know, if I clean this shop up, my dad would be pleased. And I got out there as nine years old. And I got some gasoline and I started cleaning the bench, the work bench. And I got it till you could see the wood like it was brand new. I took his tools out and I began to wash them off with the gasoline. And, and I got them so you could look at yourself and almost like a mirror. They were so shiny. And I cleaned all his tools. Then I tackled the floor and all that gunk and grease. And I, I worked and worked. And I'm covered with gasoline and oil and, and, and dirt. And, and I've been cleaning. And also, look, I see my dad driving in. And I, I know my dad's going to be pleased. So I ran out and stood at attention as the garage door went up. I stood beside my dad's toolbox and... I know my dad's going to be pleased. He's going to be happy. And my dad gets out of the truck and he looks at the floor and he goes over to the bench and he looks at the tools and doesn't say a word. And finally he turns to me and I'm about ready to burst out because I know he's going to be happy. He's going to be pleased. My father's going to be pleased. And my dad looked at me and says, it's about time you did something around here. And he walked off. I didn't please my father. I'm a failure. I'm no good. What he says about me is true. Why can't you ever? Why don't you never? All those words I heard my life growing up. And, and I realized that I must do more to please my dad. I became the older son. My brothers on the, became the rebellious son. And my dad, as he grew older, he became worse and worse. And I kept on. And finally God called me to preach. And and. and I told my dad, God's called me to preach. He said, who would, who would want a retard like you? And I begin to prove my dad wrong. See, an orphan, what he does, he has to prove his dad wrong. And so I started working to show my dad what he's saying is not true. And I begin to work and work, and I begin to rise among churches. I become, you know, the youth pastor of... First Baptist Church downtown, I became the president of what's called the Metro Youth Ministry for a number of years. And in fact, I where I first met Chris, or one of the time I met Chris was at this event. And I called my dad and I said, today, 
that my peers in the United States of the Southern Baptist Convention had elected me as the president of the head of youth ministry. And my dad says, but you've never been a real pastor. And no matter what I said, he kept on coming back, and I never was good enough. My dad died of cancer, and he was laying in the hospital near death, and he brought in his brother's sisters in and told all of them to love him. But my brother and I got three other brothers. I'm the oldest of three. And, and we're waiting for my dad to call us in to tell us that he loves us. And my dad never calls us in. And finally, the doctor comes out and says, boys, come in. Your dad only got a few minutes left. And he goes over and he wakes my dad up and said, Mr. Moore, Mr. Moore. He said, this is your last time to speak to your sons. What would you like to say? And all of a sudden, I turned into that nine-year-old boy. I know my dad's going to say something now. My dad's going to say something. And my dad looked at the doctor and he says, you tell those boys I have nothing to say to them. And he dies. And my brother hit the bed. And I can't tell you what he said, but he starts swearing. And you, it, it's the blankety blank blank stuff. And he starts swearing. And he said, Dad, you had one chance, one chance to speak into us, our identity, our worth. Of that. He's supposed to be the reflector of the Heavenly Father. When I look into my Father's eye, I'm supposed to see my Heavenly Father's eyes. And I didn't see it. He never allowed me to do it. And I walked away and I'm upset. God, I'll never be, I'll never have worth and value. I'll never have a father speaking to me. And one night I, I struggled with that for a long time. And one day I was laying in a hotel in Chicago and I was reading the last words of Jesus again. It turned to John 17, 23. John 17, 23. And all of a sudden God I found out what my earthly father could not do, my heavenly father can. Can I tell you the good news is? You don't have to have your earthly father. Your heavenly father can do what your earthly father did not do. And I was reading this in John 17, 23, and it says, I and them, and it's Jesus' last words to disciple, and he says, I and them and thou and me, that they may perfect in unity, that the world might know. When we walk out the life of Christ in unity, the world will know what? Two things. That God the Father sent Jesus, thou sent me, and didst love them, even thou didst love me. Let, me. let me explain it to you a little differently. That's a lot of dis for me, okay? But this is what it's saying is, God sent Jesus for two reasons, so we know he's from the Father. See, it's all about the Father. The Son came so we would know the Father. And the second thing we would know, the Father wants Jesus to tell the world is, that my father loves you as much as he does me. No, he doesn't. See, I, I'm going, no, 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 no. Chris, can you come up here for a minute again? I, I want Chris to be Jesus, okay? He played the part of Jesus. And I'm, I mean, look at this guy. <laughs> He's an athlete. He's smart. He is trim. He, you know, his belt doesn't fold over when he puts his, you know, I mean, and look at me. I'm an old man. I, 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 I'm in shape. I think round's a good shape, but, you know, that's. <laughs> but if, I, I, if you ask me who does God the Father loves the most, I would have to say Jesus, his perfect son. He's never done wrong. In fact, he's the one gets told, you know, this is my child in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son, you know. And, and here's Walker, and 
And I said, God, do you love Jesus the most? And Jesus would shake me. He said, no, no, no. You don't understand that God the Father sent me to let you know that he loves me as much as he does Jesus. No, Jesus is his favorite child. And all of a sudden I heard God speak to me in that hotel that night. Walker, you are my favorite child also. And I love you and I don't think bad about you. I gave all my judgment to Jesus. He's the one that took it as far as the east from the west. I'm the father. And he says, I don't know if you've done anything wrong or not. He said, I'm the father and I love you unconditionally and I love you as much as Jesus. And all of a sudden... I got up and I took my wife's lipstick and I wrote on the mirror, I, Walker Moore, and the father's favorite child. And I began to speak in that. And all of a sudden, the enemy began to go, no, you're not. No, you're not. Remember what you did in third grade? Remember what happened when you did that with your brothers? And he started bringing up all that stuff to do what? He's trying to speak into me the things that are lies, okay? All those things have been taken care of by Jesus. They don't exist anymore. You know, you don't have to keep on confessing for the same sin over and over and over again because that's what orphans do. Oh, God, please forgive me what I did in the third. No, he's forgave and he's forgotten and he took it as far as east from the west and buried in the deepest sea so that you can be free and you don't have to believe the lie anymore. He's taking care of your sins and you can walk as a favorite child in the house of God. You don't have to live as an orphan anymore. And I remember what happened that day, Chris. There's a word called storge in the Greek. It's a tone that women use when they speak to their children. And God spoke to me in a storge tone. He basically said to me, Walker, I want you to know you're my favorite child. I'll show you how it worked. And he just grabbed me basically like this. And I could feel this presence of God. And he said, Chris, I want you to know you're the father's favorite child. And he's never thought bad about you. And he loves you as much as he does Jesus. I can't, I can't imagine how much does he love Jesus. How much does God the Father love Jesus? Can you imagine? Is it bigger than this room? Is it bigger than... To- it's from one in the universe to the other. That's how much love he has for his son. And it's the exact same amount he has for Walker. Thank you, Chris. Because I'm an orphan, I have two orphan sons. Jeremiah became my perfect son. Caleb, my rebellious son. Some of you know Caleb. He's tattooed all over, ran off to California, uh, lived in Venice Beach, and we have no clue what he did all those days. But one day, one day there was a knock at the door, and it was Caleb. I opened the door, and he smelled of alcohol, and he got a brand-new big tattoo, uh, Roman numeral 13, on the back of his neck. And he looked at me and says, Father, I've sinned against you, and I come to ask forgiveness, and would you restore me with sonship? And I brought Caleb in, and he became part of our family again. He's always been our son, but he's the one that rejected the father, but he came back to his father. Does anybody know what Caleb does today? He's pastor of First Baptist Church, uh, Katusa, and he is one of the best apologetics debating across the United States. Just debated the highest-ranking uh, atheist uh, a few weeks ago, went to Utah, debated the second highest uh, apologetist for Mormonism, and God has used him to touch the world. You know why? Because he no longer walks as an orphan. Because there's two things an orphan cannot do. An orphan cannot do the great commandment, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, and can't do the great commission. You know that? You will never, ever spread the love of the Father until you get away from the orphan spirit. So what do we that means today? It means this. There's many of us in the church today 
that come every Sunday. We've been here a long time. And yet we have in us this orphan heart. We don't think we're good enough to be a part of everything that God has. The enemy has convinced us our sins still separates us from God. And we don't have full rights. We are the adopted children. We're the redheaded stepchild. We are the one that, you know, that absolutely, you know, uh, we have family. We live in a house and we have a home. But we're, we're not free in that sonship. And I say to you today, you can be free. All you got to do, number one, is admit that you're an orphan. God, I, I walk with an orphan spirit. It might come from your, you know. Do you know the orphan heart comes to you from those who are the closest to you? The orphan heart always comes to those who are the closest to you. And it happens many different ways in, in physical abuse and in, in the words that your family used. Your dad never, never, he, you know why my dad was that way? Because my dad died, his dad died when he was young and he grew up without a father. My dad was an orphan and he didn't know anything else better. And he died as a pastor. See, even a pastor can have an orphan heart. And I wish my dad could find the freedom of that, but I understand today where my dad was coming from and God has released all that and I have no more hate or ill feeling toward my dad. I love my dad because... He was just an orphan and he didn't know any better. But today you know the truth and the truth is this. He can set you free. He can set you free from that. And I asked the last service, this is we started singing the hymn. Just We opened the altar. Would you come and just confess to him that you're an orphan? And today I want to say I am the father's favorite child. And we're going to practice that for a second here. What I want you to do for a minute, turn to the left and right, okay? And you'll have to work this out. And I want you to tell the person next to you, say their name. If you don't know their name, ask them their name, okay? If they're your wife or husband or whatever, maybe you just want to touch them on the cheek and say to them, today I want you to know you're my father's favorite child. Would you do that? And use their name when you say that, okay? Okay, now the first ever we had a lot of hugging and kissing going on. This, this is a little more conservative group here, okay? How did it feel when somebody speak that? See, the world is speaking negative, telling us lies all the time. You're not good. You have to have this kind of toothpaste. You've got to drive this kind of car. You're not worthy. You don't have value and all that. And we as a church need to speak the language of what? Sonship to one another. Now, I'm going to give you one harder one to do because it's easy to say, Chris, you're my father's favorite child, you know, and Skip, you're my father's favorite child. I can go around and Bruce, you're my father's favorite child. I can go around and say that over and over again. But it's hard for me to say, guess what? My name is Walker Moore, and I am the father's favorite child. Because every time I started doing that when I started out, the enemy was always saying, no, you're not, you're not, you're not. So I want you to turn left and right. Use your name and speak loudly to them. I want you to know who I am. My name is, say your name, I am the father's favorite child. Would you do that? Help him, Jesus. Help him, Jesus. Heard a lot of my name in front of him. No, you need to shout it. You need to go home, put it on your mirror. You need to stamp it on your heart. I know who you are. You're a child of the king. You've been brought into the family. You've been born in the family, adopted into the family. You've been married in the family, and you have full right. And my father loves you as much as he does Jesus. Does that make sense? Did we get it? If you, if, you, if you got it, say, I got it. Okay. Then some of you need to respond to it. 
and say, I need to lay the orphan heart down, start walking with sonship today, and I need to let people know who I am. Shall we pray? Father, we come to you today, and Lord, I pray that you will, Father, even myself who struggled with it for so long, and Father, I just thought if I could build my kingdom, my father would kneel down and realize who I was, but Father, it never happened. So I thank God for the scriptures that what my earthly father could not do, my heavenly father did. And he spoke to me clearly and loudly about my identity in him. Because of that, I now have purpose and identity and direction and destiny in life. And the father is life. So, Father, I know there's some that struggle with that today. Even senior adults struggle with that. They hear the voice of their father over and over again. How come you never? Why don't you ever look at you? How come? Why can't you be someone? Why can't you do like other people? And we've heard that language over and over again. And yet, Father, today, we are going to escape the lies today. And we're just going to come and say, Father, we embrace you, not the lies. We're going to embrace the truth of what you said in John 17, 23. So we lay all this at the foot of the cross. And we ask this in the name of all names, in the name of Jesus. In his name we pray.